Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Today, as we continue our focus on missions and building bridges, I can think of no one better that I would love to have you welcome this morning. But would you welcome our network leader, Don Ross, this morning? Thank you, Don. Let me tell you a little bit about the Assemblies of God, that um, although we're called a denomination, we're technically not. We're a fellowship. The only thing that really holds our churches together is we have identified 16 fundamental tenets that all churches agree. Other than that, all churches have their own uh, governance, their own bylaws, and for the most part, they serve their communities and their congregation as an autonomous church. So we gather together because we're better together. And I have the privilege of being probably in a different church almost every week. Our geographic area goes from the Pacific Ocean to the Montana border and from the Oregon border to the Canadian border. So that rectangle of land. And we have about 350 plus churches that are in that area and about 1,400 ministers, 60 of whom are missionaries scattered around the world. And on top of that, we have about 80 what are called missionary associates, which again are scattered throughout the world. So it's fun to see what God is doing in all of these places. And we serve in a gospel target-rich environment. 86 out of every 100 people that you meet, passing you on I-5, the sidewalk, the mall, wherever people are, 86 out of every 100 have no functioning knowledge of the gospel. They will know the difference between a Bible and a cookbook, but they won't know what's in the Bible. They're not going to understand. And they, we live in this arena and this culture that's really crying out to know God but doesn't know if they can trust church to help them find him. And that's the environment that we serve in. And I'm honored to serve with other leaders. In fact, one of my board members was up here earlier, Dr. Kim Martinez. Where are you, Kim? Give me a little wave here and there. Yeah, there she is. She actually serves on my board. And we're going to spend the next couple of days together in meetings. We take the first day of every year in our sessions together, and we spend the entire day in prayer, which is what we're going to do tomorrow. And your pastor's going to be a part of that, too, as we pray for the nations and pray for churches. It's an honor to watch uh, Dwayne and Stephanie lead this church. I remember, Dwayne, the first time I met you at Panera Bread at Northgate many years ago, when you weren't here and I wasn't here. We were just there, all right? And, I, and, and Pastor Bob, was he, he had me all cued in. I got you to, you got to meet this guy, Dwayne. This guy, Dwayne, he's so wonderful. You're going to, and, and I met you, and you, you weren't that wonderful, really. <laughs> I mean, you were good, but really, you know, no, I'm just teasing you. It was, uh, it, it was, it's so fun to look back and see where both of our paths and how they have intertwined together. It's just awesome. I want to say one thing more before I pray. God began to work in my life when I was 12 years old, giving me a call to ministry. I remember going to Northwest University and a student graduate that was about the same age I am right now. She was 63. 
Anywhere in between those, God can call people. Moses' ministry started when he was 80 years old. Here's what I want you to know. If in the context of this message today, you feel like God is touching your heart to serve in ministry, I'd like to talk with you personally. I'd like to pray with you. No pressure at all. But if you have questions about next steps, then I'm just going to hang around up front after the end of the service and just make your way up because you need to talk with somebody about what's going on inside your heart. With that in mind, let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for calling us together. Thank you for what you want to accomplish today. We honor you when we obey you, and that's our goal today, to be completely obedient. Let your word touch our hearts deeply. In Jesus' good name, amen. I want to say to you, Shoreline Community Church, thank you for serving. Thank you for serving this community. Thank you for being the church scattered. Thank you for being the church gathered. Thank you for serving locally. Thank you for serving globally. In fact, our fellowship, the Assemblies of God, has over 13,000 churches in America, and Shoreline Community Church in its missions giving is rated in the top 100 of those 13,000 churches. So I'm here to say thank you for giving. Thank you for sacrificing. Thank you for that. Absolutely. Those of you who are clapping, you're clapping for yourselves. I understand that. But you also understand that God's the one that channels his resources through your hands, right? Because it's not your money. It's not your time. It's not your life. When you and I give our life to Jesus, we have given it away. And he gets to spend it any way he wants. Because it's not ours anymore. You understand that God is actively working in the lives of the people in this community and around the world. And you understand that he is calling you to join him on that adventure. All we have to give God is our life. And our life is made up of two primary components. Time and resources. That's what makes up life. And we give that back to God. Today I am boldly going to ask you to do both. At the conclusion of the service, I'm going to ask you to give time, and I'm going to ask you to give resources. Would you open up your program, and inside your program is a little card. Would you take that card out and just hold that in your hand right now? Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Would you fill out the contact information in that card? Now, I'm not going to ask you to put it in the offering now. You don't have to do that. In fact, we may get to the end of the service, and you don't put this in the offering at all. But if you would be willing to write down your contact information, just take a pen and fill out your name, your address, so that you're ready to do that. Then at the end of the service, you'll be prepared. And again, nobody's going to force you to do anything. This is an opportunity for you to be a part of. My assignment today is to talk to you about missions. Here's what I know about missions. Missions did not start with our fellowship, the Assemblies of God. Missions, in fact, did not start in America. Missions did not start in Europe. Missions did not start in the Middle East. In fact, missions did not even start on planet Earth. Missions started in heaven. Missions started in the heart of God. If we want to talk about missions, 
We have to go to heaven where it started. Jesus reminded us in John 17, in the same way that you, this is Jesus' prayer. This is the Lord's prayer. Matthew 6 is actually more the disciples' prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, Jesus is answering the disciples' question, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, Our Father which art in heaven. And we all know that as the Lord's prayer, but really that's more the disciples' prayer. John 17 is Jesus' prayer back to the Father. And I want you to know that Jesus prayed this entire prayer with his eyes open. The Bible says he looked up to heaven and said, in the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. Now, all of you, I believe, have listening notes in your program. So I'm going to ask you to be active in the service today and take out your pen. And would you circle three words, in the world. On your listening notes, circle those three words, words, in the world. This is the difference between a mission and a ministry. A ministry is focused on strengthening believers, discipling them, training them to become stronger in their faith. That is a ministry. A mission is focused on unbelievers. Jesus said in John 20, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. What are we sent to do? What is our mission? Let's talk about that for a moment. In Acts 20, Paul writes, The most important thing I do is that I complete my mission, the work that the Lord Jesus gave me to tell people the good news about God's grace. You see, once you and I know Jesus, once we have been born again, our primary focus needs to be on moving the mission of God forward. It's not enough for you to have your fire insurance paid up. There is a little bit of, there, there, there's a little thinking that goes back in the back of our mind, and the older we get, the more tempted we are to think that. Well, at least I won't have to face that. I'll be gone soon. So what are you going to do between now and then? Who are you praying for? Somebody prayed for you, or you wouldn't be here today. Who are you praying for? Do you actually believe that prayer makes a difference in other people's lives? Jesus has called us to be his witnesses. Acts 1.8, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's New Testament for being my witness locally, regionally, and globally, all around, wherever you go. And when Jesus said this to his disciples, they'd never been out of the country. It was, a, it, it was a foreign thought that they would take the gospel around the world. It is second nature to us to think about around the world. Let me show you what I mean. If you have ever traveled internationally, that's, that is you've crossed a border out of the United States and been in another country where you had to get your passport out to get into that country, raise your hand. Okay, look around. Almost everybody has been somewhere internationally. It's commonplace. It wasn't that way for Jesus' disciples. This was a vision that was so far beyond their ability to contemplate, it's hard to imagine. Circle the word witness. What does it mean? It's the Greek word martyr or martyr. It means to literally give your life away for that. Let me give you another example. When you're in Fred Myers and you see that somebody needs help, offering to help them, which could lead to a conversation, which could lead to prayer, we get held hostage by fear. 
Don't be afraid to obey the Spirit's promptings. The gifts of the Spirit are to be more widely used outside of our gathering than inside of our gathering. If you've ever read the book of Acts, you'll see that the Holy Spirit's power is outpoured more in people's homes, more in the marketplace, and more in the street than it ever is inside a worship service. That's where God wants us to be. That's what it means to be a witness. Here's what God did not say. He didn't say, you're my defense attorney. We do not need to defend God. He didn't say, you're my prosecuting attorney. You don't have to force people to accept him. And he didn't say, you're my salesman. You don't have to ever logically convince people to receive Christ. What can I do to help you earn salvation today? No, it doesn't work like that. He's called you to be one thing, and that's his witness. And what does a witness do? Just tell what you saw. Now, there are some of you in this room that are a little bit afraid to be a witness because you're afraid somebody's going to ask you a question that you can't answer. Well, let me put you at ease. They will. Let me give you an excellent answer. This is an excellent response. When somebody asks you a question that you don't know the answer, here's what you say. I don't know. Just say, I don't know. It doesn't mean that what you do know is less validated. It's still there. It's your story. You know how your life is changed. I have breakfast every week with a guy named Jerry, and Jerry is an avowed atheist. Uh, my friend Dale here, somewhere he knows who I'm talking about. He's his friend too. And we just banter back and forth all the time. But Jerry will never move me because I know what God did for me. It's my story. And I am a witness to my story. I know what God did. You're a witness to your story. Here's how we make God known to the world. We are a witness in three places. Jesus said Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth. We are a witness to those closest to me. That's my own Jerusalem. My neighbor, people that I carpool with, those who are in the office cubicle next to me, wherever that is. I'm a witness to them. Secondly, I'm a witness to people who are in Judea or Samaria. These are people near me, but they're a little bit different than me. Maybe a different ethnic background. Maybe a different experience, whatever. And then finally, I am a witness to those around the world. Everywhere else in the earth. Everybody else. Ephesians 3.11 says this was God's plan for all history, which he carried throughout Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus started this mission when he came to earth. But he's trusting us to complete the mission out of simple obedience to the Spirit's promptings. Here's what it's going to take to complete an outreach mission. There are three ways that you and I fulfill our outreach mission. And I want to spend the rest of our time talking about these three things. Number one, I've got to share with those in my world. The Bible tells us that there was a sick man who came to Jesus one time, and Jesus healed him. And then the man said that he wanted to travel with Jesus and go wherever he went. And Jesus said to him, no, in Luke 8, go back home. Tell people how much God has done for you. So the man went all over the town telling how much Jesus had done for him. Jesus says the same thing to us. In that moment that we become one of his followers, we are to tell our friends, our relatives, our co-workers. Here's a fascinating story from the city of Seattle. There are two Billy Graham crusades that happened in our city. 
1954, one in 1976. I was part of the one in 1976. It was the first event that happened in the kingdom. Is there anybody here who actually remembers the kingdom? Okay? How many of you watched it implode? Go down. Yeah, that was, yeah, more hands went up for that. Okay. In Billy Graham's crusade here, 480,000 people, aggregate attendance, came to that. 76% of the churches in Seattle were involved. 52,000 people came to Christ during that one week of crusade, eight days in May 1976. 52,000 people. A year later, we researched those 52,000 people. You know how many were still following Christ involved in a local church? Just over 1,200. How did that happen? So we researched the 1,200. How did they stick? Of the 1,200, over 80% came with a friend or a relative who followed up with them, answered their questions. They are the ones that got discipled. So the Billy Graham organization in the mid-70s instituted what was called Operation Andrew. Remember, Andrew was the first disciple to bring someone to Jesus. He brought his brother Peter. Here's how we know the gospel travels, through relationships, through people who trust other people. This organization that you and I are part of, in 1914, there's a group of ministers, and they decided 106 years ago that this would be their mission statement. We commit ourselves to the greatest evangelism that the world has ever seen. As a result of that, they begin to send missionaries all over the world. They started at home, but people who came to Christ said, God wants to send me to Africa. God wants to send me to India. God wants to send me to Asia. And they begin to travel all around the world. In this fellowship that you and I are a part of, we see one new person come to Christ every 29 seconds. One new church built every 43 minutes. 95% of our fellowship that we're a part of that started in the state of Arkansas, 95% is now scattered around the world with over 360,000 churches. One out of every 100 people on the planet is a part of this fellowship. That's an incredible influence. You and I are called, we may not be called to go to India, maybe we're called to our own neighborhood. For sure we are. I want you to think about this one thought. It's not an accident that you live where you live or that you work where you work. God's placed you there. Here's what 1 Peter says. Be ready at all times to answer anyone who asks you to explain the hope that you have in you. Every one of us are going to die. That's not news to any of you. We had an amazing funeral right here in this room this last week with our brother Paul Grison celebrating his life and the way Jesus used him. Every one of us will die. Why doesn't God take us to heaven right now? You know, there's only two things that you can't do in heaven. Two things. Number one, you can't sin. Number two... You can't tell anybody about salvation. Why do you think Jesus leaves us here? 
So that we can experience sin? No, because sin destroys whatever it touches. Jesus has left us here to propagate the gospel, to be local missionaries in our own community. 2 Peter 3 says, God does not want anyone. This is God's attitude. I don't want anyone to be lost, but he wants all people to change their hearts and their lives. God is not willing that anyone should perish. If you know people in your family your circle, your network of friends that you believe have a hard heart, can I just tell you to bump up your prayer impact for them? Because people's hearts change after we pray for them. Jesus has called you and I to make him known to the world. A church that doesn't really reach out, a congregation that doesn't care about lost people, is basically saying to their community, we really don't care where you spend eternity. I want you to think about that because there's only two places that people will spend eternity, heaven or hell. And a church that doesn't care about lost people is basically saying, we don't care where you go. If you want God's blessing in your life, you're going to have to care about lost people the same way God does. For God so loved the world that he gave. Do you love those in the world enough that you are willing to give time and resources. Here's the second thing that we're to do. I've got to dare to reach beyond my own world. I've got to go beyond my comfort zone. I've got to reach out beyond people that I'm comfortable with, beyond my background, beyond my ethnic group, beyond economics or educational backgrounds. Our outreach is so important with eternal consequences, heaven or hell, that we have to do anything and take risks as needed to get the message of the gospel out. It means getting out of our comfort zone. I just want to let that settle for just a moment. I have this horrible thought that comes to me periodically. I've died and gone to heaven, walking the streets of gold, seeing my grandfather, seeing members of my family that have gone before, and I come around the corner on this street, and there's Peter and Paul talking. And they turn to me, and they instantly know me, and I know them. And I say to Peter, man, that must have been wonderful, being with Jesus, get out of the boat, walk on the water, the day of Pentecost. Wow, that was amazing. I turned to Paul. I said, man, that must have been incredible. Preaching to Caesar. The kid falls out of the window. You raise him back to life again. How amazing that was. And they each talked to me about their ministry. And simultaneously, Peter and Paul, in the very same moment, turn and look at me and say, and Don, what did you do for the master while you were on earth? And I look down at the street and I kind of shuffle back and forth and say, well, I, I kept my church on budget. I tried to get everybody to like me. The reason the men and women of God in the Bible have exploits written about them is that they were willing to get out of their comfort zone and obey God. Do you think they didn't fear? Of course they did. They just refused to be held hostage by fear because obedience had more dominance in their life than the fear they were contending with. There's never been one time that God used my life that I didn't move forward with fear and trembling and take fear with me into the obedience of the future. It's going to be the same way with you. 
You will not get out of your comfort zone and leave fear. Well, I'm willing to do what God wants me to do. Once I know that the fear is gone, that's following your feelings because fear is a feeling. Fear is an emotion that holds us hostage. But when I choose to obey, obedience has the preeminence. Galatians 2, stoop down. Reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens and complete Christ's law. And you and I don't even need to leave the country to do this. 20 minutes from here, you can be in a different culture. The Bible says in James 1 that real religion, the kind that passes muster before God our Father, is this, to reach out to the homeless and the loveless in their plight. If Jesus were here, where would he be? What would he be doing right now? And he calls us to follow him into those very places. In Matthew 25, Jesus said, I was hungry, you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison. You visited me. Any outreach mission that we have has to be focused onto a world in a loving way that is Jesus' hand extended. And the rewards of such obedience are quite literally out of this world. God has promised that if I act like Christ on earth, that he will reward me in an amazing way in eternity. Jesus said, let me assure you that no one of you has ever given up anything for your love of me and telling others the good news that you won't be given back a hundred times over. A hundred times over is 10,000%. That's an amazing return. To share God's mission in the world, I need to do three things. We've talked about starting at home, doing it where we live. It's not an accident that we live where we live or work where we work. Number two, to reach outside beyond my comfort zone. Here's the last one. I've actually got to care about the world. I've got to care about people that I don't know. You can change the world for one person by simply caring for that one person. Somebody changed it for you. Every single one of you have somebody that impacted your life spiritually that you look back, and that's a milestone, watershed moment inside your life. Jesus said in John 16 to his followers, go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. I want you to take your pen out and circle the word followers. Followers. Jesus said to his followers, he didn't say this to career missionaries, or to career pastors, he said this to anybody who calls themselves a follower of Jesus. And then he says, I want you to go everywhere, because everybody deserves to hear the good news. And when Jesus said this, it was physically impossible for his disciples to go everywhere. Not like today, we've got planes, trains, and automobiles. We can go everywhere. This organization that you and I have been a part of has chosen to believe God. And over the last 100 years, we've seen missionaries go and go and go all over the world. It's been an amazing thing. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus said, if you insist on saving your own life, you will lose it. I know what that's like. I know what that's like. Not very far from here, in Ballinger Avenue, this guy came out in front of me, I just stopped at Starbucks there at Ballinger to get a cup of coffee. And he looked at me and he said, do you have a, you have a couple of bucks? 
Now, I don't mind helping homeless people. I, I don't. But I don't like to give them money. I'm going to buy them food or a cup of coffee. And since we're in front of Starbucks, I looked at him and said, do you, uh, you want a cup of coffee? I'll buy you a cup of coffee. And he grabbed his stomach like this. And he said, oh, no, I, I could never drink coffee. I said, what's the matter? He said, I'm going to be honest with you. He said, I need a beer. And it was one of those moments where I could have ridiculed, I could have helped him, or I could have walked away. And there's something inside me, and with my own background, I just couldn't bring myself to buy him a beer. And I, 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 I said, man, I'm sorry, I, I don't think I can help you. He went, okay, and he's doubling over, he's in pain. And you can tell he's coming off a withdrawal. He's, he's in pain. And, and he walked to the right, and I walked to the left, and I'm standing in Starbucks line. And as clear as I've ever heard God's voice talk to me about anything in my life, Jesus said these words to me. I would have liked to have met that man. I would have liked to have met that man. Right then, I'm wishing that I would have bought him a six-pack and taken him to the park. Let him drink while I talk to him. Somebody's going to tell the network I said this, aren't you? <laughs> it's true. I left that line in Starbucks. I got back in my pickup, and I drove around trying to find the guy, but he was gone because I missed the opportunity. I missed the opportunity because he didn't fit into the way I thought things ought to be. I was trying to save my own life. I didn't want anybody to see me buying a guy a beer. I'm glad I didn't buy him the beer, but I wish I would have introduced him to Jesus. And I was conflicted in that moment. Are, are you tracking with me here? You see, the opportunities that present themselves for the gospel don't always come crisp and clean and clear. This is a messy business that we're involved in because people live messy lives. They do ugly things to one another. And in the middle of that chaos, Jesus says, go there. All that tension, you go there. You bring peace to that place. And because I wasn't comfortable with what he wanted, his point, I went back and looked at the Gospels and I saw that Jesus met people where they were at. He didn't require them to come where he was. He went to the, it was a valuable lesson. And Jesus was setting me up so that I could help other people in the future. I've never forgotten that. If you insist on saving your own life, you'll lose it. Only those who throw their lives away for my sake and the sake of the good news will ever know what it really means to live. People look at our lives to watch how we live. And the prominence of love is the most important factor that they're looking for. Will you accept me the way I am right now? There's a story of an American pastor who's traveling to Asia, a communist country. And he's invited to the home of a professor, a communist professor, and there's a long conversation about what faith in Jesus is like. 
And he told the story of a father who took his son to an American carnival to this communist professor. And the young son had three of his friends. And so the father bought a roll of tickets so that the son and his friends could enjoy the rides at this carnival. And at every one of these rides, he would look down and his son and his three friends would be there and the father would dole out another ticket. Well, on the fifth or sixth ride, he looked down and there's not three friends. Now there's four friends. His son had picked up a straggler. And the, 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 the father didn't recognize him. And he, and he looks down at this little boy and he says, who are you? And the boy looked up and he said, well, I'm your son's new friend. And your son told me that if I came over with all these other boys, when you gave all of them a ticket, that you would give me a ticket too. The father smiled and gave the new friend a ticket. And the pastor turned to this communist professor and he said, your heavenly father has a ticket for you too because you're my friend. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. None of us deserve it. It's free. You have to receive it. The pastor looked at this man who had taught in a communist institution for half a century. Tears are coming down his cheeks. His lips are quivering. And he said in broken English, I would like one of those tickets. And the pastor prayed with him. See, everybody needs Jesus. They may be resistant at first, but your love and respect for them opens their hearts. They may call themselves an atheist or think that they're too cool, but your love and respect will open their hearts. You don't have to know the answers to every question in order to simply be obedient. I will tell you this, there is no greater thrill on earth than leading somebody to Christ. You see, you can't take your possessions with you to heaven, but you can take your friends and family. And God wants to use you to extend his family. Can I ask you a question? Who's going to go to heaven because of you? Who will be in heaven because you said yes to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Acts 13 that David served God's purposes in his own time. That's the epitaph that I want over my life. That's what I want people to say about all of us, that we serve God during our time. And here is the acid test. How do you know if your outreach mission to the world is completed or not personally? It's a very simple test. If you're still here, the mission's not done. All of us are called by God to walk during that season. And there are four ways that we can respond, all illustrated by men in the Bible. We can be exactly like Moses, who looked at God when he asked him to do his bidding. And Moses said, who? Me? Or we can be like Jonah, who said to God, not me. Or we can be like Habakkuk, who said, why me? Or we can be like the prophet Isaiah who said, send me. There's no greater thrill than knowing that you are sent by God. I'm going to pray a prayer for you right now. And then we're going to have a short conversation following. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, I've looked at everyone here in this room throughout this service. And I know that you are calling us to accept a mission from you. 
I pray that every person here will have the courage to do the right thing, to not walk away from you, but to obey you and say, as Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Thank you for the privilege of being used by you to build your family. We trust you, Father. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen. Would you take out those Engage cards that you had a few moments ago and just hold those in your hand? I'm going to ask you to consider giving to missions today. Now, you've already completed it. It already has the contact information. What do you believe Jesus is asking you to do in order to give to missions? How has Jesus blessed you with resources? Now, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to say to yourself, well, I wonder what I can afford. Because there's no obedience in that question. Obedience comes when you ask yourself this question, Jesus, what do you want me to do? Because when you say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? You are acknowledging that everything you have belongs to God. You see, when you give an offering and your pastor stands up every Sunday and he says it's time to receive the offering, you can only give back to God what he's given to you. Now, some of you are saying, wait a minute, I do construction all week. I didn't see Jesus out there with the tool belt. I'm the one that nailed those two by fours. I'm the one that sold those cars. I teach in that classroom. I run this business. Yes, you do. But who gave you life? And how much did you pay for that? Nothing. Who gave you time? And how much did you pay for that? Nothing. Who gave you the ability to learn, to develop skills, to learn how to weld and teach and sell? God gave you those talents. And how much did he charge you for that? Nothing. God gave you the raw material to develop all the skills that you have, the brain power to learn what you needed to know. And you took all of those resources of time and life and skills, and you developed a career. But it all started with his gifts to you of life and time. And that's why we say we can only give back to God what he has given to us. Now, here's what I want you to feel. I want you to feel the presence of God not my words of persuasion. If you're not ready to make a decision today, can I just take, encourage you to take the card home and pray about this? You can come back next week and drop it in the offering then or mail it to the office. Either way, this is between you and Jesus. It's not about what the church needs. It's not about what you did last year. It's about what Jesus is talking to you about doing. Because Jesus told us in John 13, if you love me, do what I tell you to do. Keep my commandments. Jesus' standard of love is our obedience. Now, if you had money in your pocket, which I got a $5 bill here, the only name, I guess there's two names, there's Lincoln's name on this $5 bill, but there's also God's name. Since 1957, all of our money has a little phrase on it that says, in, what is it? That's right. In God we trust. So that's the question. Can you trust God? If he asks you to do something, here's what I know about God. If you honestly are obedient to him, 
in completing this card, he will ask you to do more than you think you can. And here's why. Because it's only in trusting him with the future and resources that he will channel through your hands that he is pleased. Only faith pleases God. It's not my ability to perform that pleases God. It's my ability to trust him. So I know that whatever Jesus asks you to do will be more than what you had originally intended to do. Because that's what brings trust into it. I am trusting God. I am trusting him. Because everything he's given to me belongs to him. Now's the time for you to take your pen and just complete. I commit to join Shoreline Community Church in the impacting of lives by giving how much each month to missions. You want to give an annual lump sum? You can do that. You want to give weekly? You can do that. Calculate what that is and write it down. Here's why. Because when we write down, we're giving our word. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. I'm going to pray that you will be obedient because that's what's going to bring harmony and incredible joy in your life so that you are never held hostage by fear. 